We are in Acts chapter 3, and uh, we're going to start in verse 11. Acts chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 11. Let me pray for us tonight before we start. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence among us. Uh, we just uh, press into you to feel your presence, to know your goodness. Direct us, Lord, in all that we do. Let uh, your word be alive tonight. Let it, uh, let it just saturate our hearts and our minds. We thank you for your goodness. Um, Lord, I thank you for this day. I pray specifically, Lord, for uh, Lord uh, Jamie Stanley and, and her whole family, Lord, uh, with the passing of her dad and his funeral today. We just pray you'd comfort them. Lord, uh, those that are dealing with sickness, uh, those that are uh, suffering from COVID, Lord, we're thankful that any of those I know of, Father, are recovering well, but also, Lord, those that are that are dealing with cancer and other serious illnesses, Lord. Um, we just uh, ask you to continue to touch them. We pray for healing touch from you because you can do what nobody else can do. So bring your healing. Let your presence be poured out, Lord, upon them and let them feel your, uh, just like the woman with the issue of blood, feel your virtue flowing into them right now, Lord. Touch them, minister to them. Uh, Lord, you know every need. And I pray everyone here uh, in the room and those on the stream tonight, Lord, would be encouraged and be strengthened and uh, that your presence would just lift and build and grow. We thank you for what you've been doing in our Sunday services. We ask you to just let that continue. Let your spirit draw people to you. And we pray your voice would be loud in our ears and our lives would be what you want them to be. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, welcome everybody again. Um, Acts chapter 3. I know John uh, did an exceptional job last week and... Uh, he talked about the healing of the man at uh, the gate beautiful, and we pick up in verse 11. Let me read uh, down through the end of the chapter, and then we'll go back and we'll start commenting on some of it. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, and why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety... We have made him walk, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, let your sins, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus." whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from all the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God 
having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. I love this, uh, this section of scripture in Acts chapter 3 with the healing of the man beautiful and then Peter's sermon is one that I have just looked at many, many times. There's a couple of what I think to be really important uh, theological pivotal truths, pivotal truths uh, as it relates to our faith and particularly as Pentecostals what it means to our faith. And uh, so let's begin in verse 11 and let me just talk to you about some of the things that are, that are going on here. Um, uh, that happened in, in the beginning. They happened because of this miracle. Now, um, I don't know exactly what John told you last week, so let's recap a couple of things. There's this man who has been lame from birth. He sits daily at the temple gate, begging alms of those that pass by. Peter and John have come by. He begs alms of them. It's You, you know this verse of Scripture, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Peter reaches down, takes hold of the man, lifts him up. He's instantly made whole. And the man begins to jump and leap and worship God. And people who have seen this man all of his life see what's going on. And they follow him um, from the gate. He follows clinging to Peter and John into the temple area. And that's where our story picks up. In verse 11, it says, While he clung to Peter and John... All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Now, Solomon's portico, let me describe that to you. It's a, from, from pictures and diagrams and archaeological stuff and, and just the description in the, in the Old Testament. These are big, huge uh, columns. Uh, most people believe 50 feet tall. Uh, and two rows of those that have a roof over them that form sort of a outdoor, uh, connected on one side to the temple, like a big porch, really tall, uh, and it was named Solomon's Portico. Uh, it is in that area. It's before you go through to go into the court of the women. It's before you go into the court of the men. It's be- certainly before the Holy of Holies, sort of on outside of the, uh, of the temple area. All right? And this great crowd of people... Um, I read something today that said there may have been as many as 10,000 people in the temple area when this, they don't know that because of scripture, they're just estimating the numbers of people that would have been in the temple area when these sorts of things might have happened. And this guy's clinging to Peter and John, he's been jumping up and down. People that come through this gate every day have grown accustomed, Marion, to seeing this man laying there knowing with deformed feet it would seem completely unable to walk. And now they see him jumping and leaping and praising the Lord. And they quickly begin to ascribe to Peter and John some sort of power in them. And that's where Peter begins to address them in verse 12. Now, he, um, it says that the people are staring intently at Peter and John. Uh, and, and the inference from the scripture is that the people are acting like they believe Peter and John have done this. That this is their power. And that's what, uh, that's what Peter and John, it's what Peter begins to address. There's a thing here that I want to make sure you understand. And I think this is true at all times for all people, no matter who they are in positions of ministry. None of the, none of the apostles, there's no account in any of the gospel record of even the apostles ever regarding themselves as the source of power 
in other words, that the power was resident in them. There's no picture of that in the scriptures at all. That they considered themselves uh, conduits, channels, uh, recipients of what God had done, that it moved through them, from Jesus, from the Father, through them. The reason that I bring that up is that every now and then you'll hear somebody that, you know, I have the gift of. I'm a, and they put a title on it. I, I'm never comfortable with that, and it's not biblical. Uh, the gifts, the scripture tells us, are apportioned as the Spirit wants for the edification of the body. And there's no indication that a gift becomes resident. Now, the Bible does say you can covet the best gifts. You can say, Lord, I want to be used in that way. But ultimately, it's his, it's his perusal and it's his prerogative to, 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 to empower however and whenever he wants to. So there's no indication here. In fact, it's in the, in the language of Peter that he very quickly begins to push that away. Listen, he says, men of Israel, why do you stare at us? This is verse 12. Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Now, I want to challenge you to do something. I want you to, I want you to think about where this is in time. Think about what is... Somebody tell me, where are Peter and John fresh from? Where have they recently been and what have they recently experienced? Baptism of the Holy Spirit, day of Pentecost. The same Peter stood up we believe just maybe the day before or a few days before and preached this sermon and 3,000 is one day and 5,000 the next. He's preaching under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They've just come from this outpouring. Remember, we talked about whether or not it's in the upper room or it was in the temple. Either way, they've just come through the day of Pentecost. If there was ever a group that are Pentecostal filled up with the Spirit of God, this has got to be two of them right here. Amen? There's no, there's no insulation. There's no time that's gone by. They've solved. I mean, they had the flames of fire and the rushing mighty wind. These are first generation. I mean, they're still, forgive the, they're wet behind the ears with the birth of the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon them. What I want you to notice is, and I know this sounds contrary. It's not. Um, I want you to notice what they don't mention in this narrative. I read this many years ago. And I want you to notice as we go through this, notice what they don't mention and notice what they don't attribute the man's healing to. And, and then here's, here's what I want you to look for. What do they attribute the healing to? All right, hold on to it. I'm not, I'm, we'll talk about it in a moment. What do they not attribute the healing to? What do they attribute the healing to? Because I think it's a really peculiar, um, interesting point of this scripture. This is just... The day after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want you to also notice in something that I mentioned before uh, two weeks ago when we talked about Peter standing up. A completely different man. St. Peter that has denied Jesus three times stands up and preaches this incredible sermon on the day of Pentecost. And he's about to do it again. Um, he speaks in a way that you've never heard him speak. Uh, if Luke records it accurately, and we believe that he does... It says, and when Peter, he, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power of piety we have made him walk? Then he begins in this Old Testament exhortation again. This fisherman, this uneducated ruffian from the shores of the Sea of Galilee says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over 
and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you, let me read through this real quickly. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Now, a couple of things in this that I want you to notice. First of all, Peter is not speaking in his natural ability. Does anybody, first of all, does everybody agree with that? He's speaking in a way that's unusual for him. We saw it on the day of Pentecost. But this isn't just a wiser, smarter better version of Peter. There's something more than that. I absolutely believe this is the, and I'm going to use a word that you may not think of. You might think of a word of knowledge or faith or something. This is the gift of prophecy happening in Peter. This is biblical prophecy and the way that the gift of prophecy uh, is used in the New Testament. When we think of prophecy, we think of uh, 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 foretelling telling what is going to happen. But, but in the New Testament, a better word for the gift of prophecy is forth-telling, bringing forth the word of God in a given moment. It doesn't just have to be word, but letting God speak his purpose, his word, his, his self into a moment. And that's what you hear. This is, this is the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter. And the way you know that is he says some things that Peter can't have known. He gives some pieces that come all the way out of the creation account. That Peter's not, he's just not that, he uses terms that aren't really Hebraic. They're, they're from the throne of God. Watch this. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's very Hebraic. The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Listen to verse 14. But you denied the holy and the righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. It's this next phrase that really speaks to me. And you killed the author of life. Now, Peter's not talking about the father. Talking about the father would have been very Hebraic. He's talking about Jesus as the author of life. Now, do you understand what I mean when I'm saying Peter doesn't have that kind of insight? Nobody has yet suggested, nobody at that, this may be the first moment, nobody has yet suggested in that moment, until that moment, the connect, prophetically they have, but nobody has made the link. No writer, because this is days old now. Jesus has just ascended. We think a week or 10 days have gone by. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit has occurred. They've been baptized. Peter preaches one day. And then he steps up into this moment and he calls Jesus the author of life. I just want you to let that sink in for a second. The, there, there's a number of statements in this. There's a number of weighty theological truths. Watch this. Or I don't even know if you thought about this. What do you, all right, when you think of Messiah and everything that you've ever heard that the Jews might have thought about Messiah, who, can you describe for me ways that the Jewish people thought about the, about the Messiah? What did they think he would be? Powerful leader. What else? Warrior. Son of David, uh, in the lineage of David, okay. Anybody else? King. He would eventually rule, 
All of those good? There's one that you didn't mention because it wasn't Hebraic. It's something that is part of our 16 fundamental truths. Come on, Randy, you're supposed to... All right. The, the what of the Lord Jesus Christ? No, not the Son. Jesus didn't have any Son. The deity. The deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is who? He is God. Now, a Messiah who is God, the Father, that's not Hebraic. That's not Jewish. Do you understand why? All right. The Trinity, in the way we think of it, isn't, in my estimation, isn't really Jewish. They, you know, there is one God. All right. They, they, they you with me? Uh, go ahead, Nikki. I don't know how they missed it. <laughs> I don't know. It is. It's still a blind spot. Suffering servant, all that. Yes. All right. Now watch this. So are you with me? Now I brought you up to speed. Go back and hear what Peter now, this very Jewish, uneducated fisherman, states. You killed the no, author of, what, what's he saying about Jesus? He, he's saying he's God. More than that, he's saying, it, it, well, he's, he's saying that everything that was formed is formed by him. John chapter 1, verse 3. Remember that? All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. John, the same John who says, In the beginning was the Word. Speaking about who? Jesus. But here's, this is, John writes that somewhere in the 50 AD. This is Peter. Peter and John. All right. On the day or two after the day of Pentecost. The same Peter that has fled from the, from the, you know, from even knowing who Jesus is, now just a day or two after being filled with the Holy Spirit, this same Peter is speaking in ways that cannot be anything other than prophetic, right from the throne of God, poured into him through the Holy Spirit. He is giving theological truth that he can't possibly know. You with me? He wasn't there when the world was created. He's never been taught this in Jewish tradition. It's not a part of the Hebraic way of thinking. And he calls Jesus the author of life. He just made a light year jump in what it means to understand who Jesus is. And to my knowledge, that's the first time anything like that happens in the, in the, in the chronological New Testament. I'm not saying the earliest verse you know, go to the gospel. This is, you know, well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts is later. No, in real time, on the day of Pentecost, Peter issues this statement, and it is laden with, with depth that I'm not even sure he knows. But he says, and you, you killed the... No, and then I want you to, I just want to dwell on this for a moment. I could spend a long time just on this phrase. I want you to think about the the ridiculous nature of this statement. You killed 
the author of life. What do you, what do you know? Having, having read that, what do you know? Come on, draw truth out of that. What do you know? You killed life. Yeah, come on. Now you can do better than that, Terry. Yes, they did. Exact. How do you, what has to be true? He did rise from the dead. That's good. But there's, a, there's another piece in here that just jumps out at me. You, he's the originator of life and you killed him. What must be true? If he can create life and you killed him, he is alive. That's good. I like that. I hadn't thought about that one. That may be better than mine. He, yeah, the Spirit of God did raise him from the dead. How about this? He let you. He let you do it. You didn't, and isn't that what Jesus said? No man takes my life. I what? I laid it down. No, he didn't say kilt, John. He, 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 he didn't. All right? It's, it, I just want you to see, all right, in one little phrase, there is all of this depth, and if you're not careful, you just run right by it. You don't even... Uh, the, you killed you killed the author of life. How do you kill the author of life? He must have allowed you to. Life resides; it's resonant in him. He he was the he was the spirit that hovered over the face of the waters and brought order out of chaos. He was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We beheld His glory as only only begotten Son of grace, full of or full of Son of God, full of grace and wisdom. All right, so. There's so much stuff in here, and Peter doesn't know all that stuff. I just want you to notice what the Holy Spirit can do through you. Uh, I think we should anticipate the same sort of stuff. We should ask the Lord for that, that level of revelation. I'm not talking about writing new, new scriptures. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit can bring things to you that you don't know. You can, he can teach you things you don't know. He can... He can say things to you that are smarter than you and better than you. He can reveal things that no one else can reveal. And that should be the level of our expectation as it comes to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Nikki? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Same thing, yeah, that uh, Nikki, and I'm saying it for the people online, because Nikki says that Peter was an unusual guy, and when he, he's the first to confess that you are, the son of, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus says about that, that flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father that is in heaven. Uh, yep. I, I also want you to notice, too, the, and your, your statement makes me think this, Nikki, the, and it, it ties into something Peter's going to do here in this narrative, the, the, the dichotomy that's in him. This same guy that is, it, you remember, he says that before he ends up denying Jesus. All right? Um, you see it all over the New Testament. John the Baptist uh, baptizes Jesus. His disciples come to him and tell him all that Jesus is doing. And he says, look, he must increase and I must decrease. But then later on, he's locked up in Herod's prison about to face his death and he sends his disciples to go to Jesus and say, are you the one or should we look for another? So in moments of stress, sometimes we, 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 we forget what we've said and who we are. And come on, I want you to, 
The reason I said that is I want you to watch what Peter does in a moment. You, we read this like Peter is really scolding them, but that's really not his intention. You, you'll see it in a moment. All right. So they are guilty of killing the author of life. Uh, what a contrast, how you kill the author of life. Um, author obviously speaks to Jesus' part in creation. As I said, John chapter 1, verse 3 talks about that nothing was made that he didn't make. Uh, through Jesus, uh, God breathed life into man. Um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 tells us that man was formed from the dust of the earth. And, well, John, listen to John chapter 10, verse 28. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We know, we believe that even that the, the, the thing that gives us eternal life is through Christ Jesus. He is the giver of life. Without him, life loses its bloom. It, it grays. We were not intended to live without him. All right? Um, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Now, here's the question that I asked you earlier. I want you to, first of all, we're in this sermon right after the day of Pentecost. And what hasn't Peter not mentioned? Anybody notice something that is sort of peculiarly absent from the narrative? He's mentioned Jesus. But he hasn't mentioned the Holy Spirit at all, has he, Marion? He didn't, he's not saying anything about what happened the day before. He's not, he's not framed in that moment. He is absolutely flowing in the gifts, but that's not the banner over him. That's not the headline that he's promoting. I want you to listen to verse 16. Because everybody is asking, how did this happen? And remember, Peter is answering that question when he says, and his, he's talking about Jesus, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. All right, now here's the question. What made this man whole? Faith. I might have expected... If I was writing this story, I wouldn't have written it like that. This is just the day after the day of Pentecost. I would, have, I would have probably said something like, and the reason that I'm able to talk like this is because I was baptized in the Holy Spirit two days ago. And the reason that we laid our hands on this guy and he got hold is because we have been gifted through the endowment of power that comes from the Holy Spirit. He wouldn't say, because in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, because they didn't know it that yet, but because Jesus said we would receive power, and this is that power, and I've got it. Because I was there when the thing fell on me, and that's what gave us the ability to, for this man to be healed. Now, that's, that's a pretty good Pentecostal narrative, isn't it? That's how we would tell the story if somebody came in and got prayed for and got healed. I'm, now, listen. Dan's got his hand up, but I'm not going to ask him what his question is because he's going to fire back some Pentecostal truth at me that I'm not ready for yet. I'll get to you in a second, Dan. But, all right, I'm not, I'm, I'm in no way discounting the gift of faith that comes through the Holy Spirit. I'm only talking about the narrative. Dan, what's your question? Do you think it's because the narrative was written by somebody who wasn't there? The fact that Luke wrote it, he wasn't the one experiencing it, so therefore he's 
telling you more from the storyteller instead of just someone who was experiencing it. So are you saying it's not inspired? It's not exactly what... I think Paul I think Paul would have written exactly what the Holy Spirit told him to write. Peter wrote what the Holy Spirit told him. Now this is a point of fine distinction to me. I'm always I don't I do believe that the flavor of the authors came through, but I believe that the Holy Spirit said exactly what he meant to say through Luke. And I think every the, the scripture tells us that you know that every piece of scripture is profitable. It's and so I think what is said here is exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted to say. And he had the guy saying it so that it would come out that way. Now, so here, but here's my point. You, you cannot, there is no end run around the development of faith. Does everybody understand what I mean when I say end run? There is no shortcut to the miraculous power of God that doesn't go through faith. Is there a gift of faith? Yes, but you're still going through faith. There is no, there is no cliff notes for walking in the divine miracles of God. And I think sometimes we want there to be. Let me, let me not indict anybody else. Sometimes I want there to be. I want to be able to roll out of, God, now, roll out of bed six days a week me now, none of you, none of you Christians, just me, <laughs> all right, and roll in here on Sunday, six days, now, I, I want you to know that I don't do this, but I have, you know, be consumed with the things of my world six days a week, get up on Sunday morning, roll in here, and say, okay, now, Lord, I need you to anoint me so that I can be used of you to pray over sick people and have them get well. Now, can God do that? Yes, but I think if he does, he's doing it in spite of me, not because of me. Amen? Can he do it? Yes. All I'm saying is that there's a better way. And that's through, through the process by which we learn who Jesus is. We see him and know him like these guys did. They have come to believe that he is the author of life. They have lived with him. They've walked with him. They've seen him raise Lazarus. They were in the boat when the storm got... I mean, they've seen him break the bread and multiply. And, they've, and faith has arisen in them. And you can't get to where they were without having been with Jesus some. Amen? So, is it different for Luke than it is Peter and John? You bet it is. Because he... You see what I mean? Uh, because he wasn't in the boat. And... So what am I hoping that all of us latch on to? Get in the boat with Jesus, stay in the boat with Jesus, and let faith arise in you. Um, the, the, yes, amen. Hear the Lord putting that in. <laughs> all right. There is, no, there is no shortcut. There is no shortcut. Um, faith. Faith grows. Faith is quantitative. Faith comes by the hearing, line upon line, jot upon jot, tittle upon tittle, foundation built, maturity comes, depth increases, faith arises, the Holy Spirit enlightens it and brings it, but you, 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 you still can't, you, 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 you can't be those guys at the gate beautiful except that you've been with Jesus. Amen? They, they are who they are because of who they've been with. 
and the depth of their relationship with him. And they don't say, you know, our faith. They say the faith that came through Jesus. It, it's almost, there, there is one parsing of the words here and one guy that I read today. In fact, it was Stanley Horton says that, that what they're saying is that it isn't even their faith. It's, it was Jesus' faith. It came through Jesus to them. And they're, they're claiming a truly a conduit sort of a, it's flowing out of Jesus. I was with him. I heard him. I saw him. I knew what he believed and what he could do. And I just believe in him. And so I'm really nothing but just the tube through which the Jesus that I lived with for three and a half years is flowing through. That's the way that some people interpret that. Carol? Yes, absolutely. Sometimes you see um, uh, an attempt in brand new Christians, mm -hmm. and they, they're so full of the Lord and the love for the Lord at that time that they sort of, their faith seems sky high, but the least little thing yeah. will bring it down, and they haven't got that maturity level established. Depth. It's a depth. Nikki? Yeah, again and again and again. Yeah. And we don't want that. <laughs> I mean, uh, Betty? Yeah. They don't take any glory. Yep. All the glory goes to the Lord. You're right. And uh, so there's just a lot in here. Um, I, I love the language that Peter uses, the depth of the theology that he begins to, that begins to come out of him through the Holy Spirit, the, the understanding of what it is that has produced this, the way he says it, uh, and, and just the reaction. Now, verse 17 is, is, a, is what I was talking about when I said Peter is going to do something in a moment that sounds a little peculiar. Because he's, he, he is... He's just told them you killed the author of life. That's a pretty, pretty good indictment. All right, You killed the, the Messiah. Whether they believe it or not, that's what he's saying. But then he says this. Listen to what, first of all, notice what he calls them. And now, brothers. That's not an antagonistic term. It's not a, I'm mad at you. I don't like you. I don't, I don't like who you are. Uh, it's a term of endearment. It is a... It's a family connection. He's talking to Israel. He's talking to the Jewish people. And now, brothers, now listen to what he says. I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. It's a really interesting, I don't know, a, a note here for, I think, Christian leaders, pastors, leaders in, in, in Christendom for today. And it harkens back to me to Jesus on the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He is dying. They're casting lots for his clothing. And do you remember what he says? Forgive them, Lord. Why? They don't know what they're doing. What's another word for that? They're ignorant. Or if you're from where I'm from, they're ignorant. <laughs> All right? They're ignorant. They don't. They don't understand what this means. 
They don't understand the significance of it. They don't understand the impact of it. And it mitigates the way Jesus sees them, and it mitigates the way Peter sees them. He says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. What's Peter's motive? What's his motive? Judgment? Uh, Vindication? Yeah, it's, um, I'm going to use a different word. It's reconciliation. He wants them to know who Jesus was. He understands that the only thing that rights the ship in their life isn't his consternation or his anger or the pouring out of his venom upon them or his ability to just, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, call down fire from heaven. That, none of that's possible. But, but he, now, and, and let's remember this. What gift did I say Peter's operating in? Prophecy, which is doing what? It is forth-telling, bringing forth God's word in the moment. So this isn't Peter's attitude we see displayed here. This is the Father's. How many times did you see Israel turn their backs on God the Father in the Old Testament? I'm sure there is a number, but I don't know what it is. Is it, uh, the numbers of captivities, I could probably come up with that pretty good. The number of years would be hard, 401 times 70. I mean, the, you know, um, the book that reminds me of this the most is the book we studied verse by verse a long time ago, Hosea. Do you remember in the book of Hosea, you know, what's the, what's the number one lesson we learned in Hosea? Don't marry a woman named Gomer. <laughs> All right. But you hear this refrain over and over if you if you remember the Hosea is the prophet the Lord tells him to go marry this prostitute it's the only way you can describe this woman and then he uses the relationship between the two of them to indicate to the people of Israel his relationship with the Israelites and you, you see the anger of the Lord followed instantly by this this longing that they that they would come back to him and it's a it's a very the reason that the Hosea is such a neat book is because it, it is a, it's a husband and wife sort of a longing that how long, you know, how many times have I, you know, wanted you to come back to the vows that you, I mean, it's this language that is just really steeped in desire for, for the reconciliation of, of that, that relationship. And I hear a little bit of that in here when he says, and now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. The rulers who killed the author of life. The, I mean, I think sometimes... Well, do you know the... Do you know why... Um, do you know why... Uh, do you know the rationale between anti-Semitism? Anti-Semitism? People that are anti-Semites that hate the Jewish people. Do you know the number one reason that they give? You killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. And if you kill Jesus, you deserve whatever you get. But here is Jesus saying, I know what you did. You did in ignorance. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So there's no room for anti-Semitism when the guy who they killed isn't mad at them. <laughs> you, you and I probably shouldn't be either. I just, I just think there's a lot of depth in there. And listen to verse 18. And I, I have a tough time getting my head around this a little bit. 
But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. That's a little bit of a saying that says, God used you to bring about his prophetic purposes. Your ignorance was used of God to do what he needed to do. I want you to think about that for a second. God used your ignorance so that Jesus would die so that the sins of the whole world could be forgiven. Did you ever think about what might have happened had they accepted Jesus as the Messiah? You said, how did they miss it? Here's a better question. What would have happened had they not missed it? And they had said, we believe you to be the Messiah. We want you to be our... You're okay now. I'm sorry. She's okay. Marion was reaching to get something and just went a little too far. She's, she's laughing. She's not crying. She's all right. Yeah. Thank The what? Yeah, she fell out in the spirit. It's just the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about it. She's fine. Marion, you're okay though, right? Okay, good. Um, thank you, Dick, for, for at least being one gentleman in the room. I didn't get up, you know. I saw her laughing. I knew she was okay. So. All right. What was I saying? All right. What would have... All right. Rewind that. All right. Here we go. What would have happened had the Jewish people accepted Jesus and had ensconced him as the Messiah? He had to die. The Lord brought him. Watch this. If you've... Here, Here's why I said it's a little bit difficult for me to get my head around it. The Lord brought him at a, all right, we were talking about Luke and how the Holy Spirit filters it through Luke so it comes out just like it's supposed to. All right, there are things that the Lord will see that it gets done and his word's going to be accomplished. And the, the timing of when he brought Jesus onto the scene was no accident. It was perfect. So that the, and I hate to say it like this, so that the people of Israel would reject him and they would crucify him and he would die. Now, there is a little bit of a, and here's why I have a tough time getting my head around that. That's a little bit Calvinistic. Can anybody know what I mean in that? Where the Lord used their hardness and their rejection. He, he, he had already, he knew those people. He knew that they would reject him. Well, the thing in me that has a hard time getting my head around that is free will. And not all of them did reject him, but the Lord knew the timing of it and he knew what they would do and that they crucified Jesus. But watch this. Even in the willful rejection of Jesus as the Messiah, the Father's will is still that those would be reconciled to him. Brothers, I know what you did, you did in ignorance, as did also your rulers. The Father used that to bring about, the, and I'm paraphrasing verse 18, to bring about what had been said through the prophets. Um, and that Christ would suffer, and that his will would be fulfilled. Verse 19 then brings it to the crux. Repent therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Here's the, here's the, Mary, did you have a question? Well, no, I'm just, what you're saying that makes me think of what Joseph said to 
Genesis 50, 20. God meant for good. And he used it. Now, if you're, if you're doing the daily Bible readings, uh, if you're with us, we just read through the, we were about to be, we're almost to Lamentations. Uh, we're finishing up Jeremiah. And there's a number of references in there where he talks about Nebuchadnezzar being, let me, let me paraphrase it. This is not the way the wording says, but where Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians, pagan, completely ungodly. All right. And it says that Nebuchadnezzar, the, here's my paraphrase. This is what the word indicates. He was, he was God's tool. God used him to bring the people of Israel to a place where they would turn back to him. More than once, he says, and, and Nebuchadnezzar is, oh, what's the exact phrase? It's a very favorable phrase. Nebuchadnezzar is my, it's like he's my man. He's my, and you go, no, wait a minute. That's a pagan king who's enslaving the children of Israel. And the Lord says, yep, just what I, what I needed to have happen so that my children would come back to me. Now, the reason that I want you to remember that is that I think sometimes, the, sometimes I lose sight of the fact that even in the difficulty in my life, God's working out His plan for me and for you and for His kingdom. And it may not, some days it may be people waving palm branches. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then just a few days later, those same people screaming crucify. Both of them fulfilling God's, both moments fulfilling God's purpose. That'd be an interesting, both moments in the center of God's will for Jesus. One day, everybody loves you, and they're proclaiming you to be wonderful. And the next day, they're scouting, give us a known insurrectionist murder instead of him. We want to kill the author of life. Both moments orchestrated by the Father to bring about his purpose. So it does me good to remember that not everything that happens to me is rosy and warm in order for it to be what God's trying to do. Um, verse 20. Now watch this. Repent. Look at the Look at the purpose of Peter's preaching. Repent, therefore, verse 19, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Why? That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Whom There's a comma, not a period there. So that times of refreshing may come. I hear something of the Father's heart in that. Um... I hear people say things like, I mean, it's a catchphrase, but it's a common question um, or a question like this. How, why would a, or how would a loving God send anybody to hell? Or why would a loving God let, and then they fill in the blanks with something. Um, there's a, I was, um, uh, well, I was reading something in a, a deal about the ark. And they were commenting on about how the ark was able to withstand the structural pressure. And they've been trying to work out the science of it. And, and then somebody just quoted a verse of scripture and it talks about how the Lord shut them in. And the language there has an indication of his, his preservation. 
whether the science works out or not, the Lord can keep the ark from collapsing with the water pressure. Um, but the thing that I thought of when, when I was reading through this was the, the fact that Noah didn't shut the door. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in the story. Noah doesn't close the door to the ark. The Lord does. Why is that significant? What did the closing of the ark door do? Right up until that door closed, what was possible? You could get on the boat. <laughs> you could believe and be saved. But there came a definite moment where not Noah closed the door. God did. But it was a very long, patient period. And the Lord is, remember the scripture that says, and the Lord is not slow concerning his promises as some people count slowness, but he is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. That Peter is preaching not long after, not that many days after they have crucified Jesus. He's been in the tomb three days. He's come back. He spent 40 days with them. He's now ascended. So we're not talking about that long a period of time. A couple of months maybe at most since Jesus was on the cross. People in this group have certainly been complicit, some of them, in the death of Jesus. And yet there is still no venom, no vehement judgment, no, I'm, I'm just going to scorch you all. He's, he's saying, look, repent, turn from that, accept Jesus, and experience times of refreshing. There's almost a lightness in there, isn't there? There's a lightness. There's a times of refreshing doesn't sound like judgment being poured out on you, does it? And I just think you see something of the heart of the Father here. And I think sometimes I'm way too quick to pronounce judgment in my thoughts and in my attitudes on different groups of people that are operating in my world today your world today. Um, God wants every doctor who commits abortions to be saved and experience times of refreshing. God wants every... I'm trying to think of something else that's really, really bad. Um, he wants every, every trafficker in human beings to be saved. There'll come a moment when the ark door will close. But I don't get to close it. And neither do you. Amen? That's tough on me because I'm, I'm pretty good at figuring out how the world ought to be. And uh, if they would just do what I want them to do, this would be a really great world for all of us to live in. I just see those things in this section of Scripture. Is that, is that deeper? Yeah, but there's... I'm, I'm extrapolating that because of the heart of God. These are the people that crucified Jesus. These are the people that killed the author of life. And, and Peter is, I mean, come on, you know, there, that's what you get. I mean, you know, burn them all up. Call fire down from heaven. Randy? Well, he asked that. I mean, this is, this is the guy with the sword, remember? And the Lord, should we? Remember that? Lord, should we pray? And Oh, Peter, just take a, take a nap and let me, let me deal with these. And um, I don't know. It's just an interesting, 
there's some interesting peace hints in here where, where Peter is calling them to repentance, that they could turn from their sins, and that they, watch this, and that they would be blotted out. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, the Lord may forgive you, but I'm going to remember. You know, I mean, that, I, I just, I, you see something of the Father there that unless you take, unless I slow down and see it, there are pieces in there that I miss. What's the goal? Still, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I don't want them to experience the presence of the Lord. I want them to suffer for having killed Jesus. But that's not his heart. This is a little bit like uh, Jonah. You know, go to Nineveh. I don't want to go to Nineveh. Have you ever heard the backstory of Jonah? The way that there, there had been really, really bad mistreatment. And most believe in Jonah's direct lineage from the Ninevites. He hates them. He doesn't want them. That's why he goes the other direction. I don't want, I'm not going to go preach and I'm going to use salvation. That's a strong word in the time of Jonah, but I'm not going to go tell them about the Lord because I don't want them to know the Lord. I want them to suffer. And he goes and the Lord says, I don't know if you've noticed Jonah, but it's not about what you want. (laughs) And you know, after three days in a all all air conditioned submarine ride, (laughs) And I don't know if you've ever thought of Now watch this. Man, I think I've been Jonah. <laughs> Have you ever let your... And I know we're off the target here, but, but, but it's right in the same heart of God versus our heart sometimes. Can you imagine being swallowed by a fish? I mean, take it out of the children's flannel graph thing for a minute. And, and any of you ever been out on a big body of water at night? And you don't know what's under you? I mean, can you imagine that that could be a little intimidating? And all of a sudden, I don't know, you get this, I mean, are there bubbles or something? And something's coming up under you? And all of a sudden, a fish big enough to swallow you? you, I mean, I don't know what your heart rate goes to, but it's pretty high. And you get swallowed? I don't think that's a metaphor. I think Jonah got swallowed by a real fish. All right? And you... You got it. I mean, okay, this, how, how long do I live? How long does my oxygen hold out? How, how do I survive? And what, I mean, what happens to you in the belly of a fish for three days? What else is in there with you? There's no light. How, what kind of terror grips your heart? How long, I mean, I'm being a little silly, but how long before I'm no longer me? You, you imagine that however you want to. I become... C4 fertilizer, you know, and, and all of this, watch this, and all of this is about, what, what's it all about? The, the Lord's love for the people of Nineveh. I don't know, it's a message that we ought to embrace, amen, and I just wanted to mitigate how I live my life, and who I stay mad at, and who I hold stuff, you with me? that stuff. Um, what I'm talking about is that, that all the groups in the world that are in opposed to the message of Christ, I think there are sometimes when I'm just ready for the Lord to close the door of the ark on them. And the Lord's like, no, I'm wanting them to experience times of refreshing that their sins might be blotted out. And I think it's good for me to remember that. We see the heart of God speaking out of Peter in this moment. And that's what he's, that's what he's saying. Verse 21, uh, let me read. Uh, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time 
for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Jesus has obviously already come. He's talking about Jesus coming to them, coming and becoming resident in their life. Um, it's just a great picture of the heart of God as it relates to lost humanity and what it is that you and I are here to do and what it is that, that we're willing to be and do to see that people experience times of refreshing. And uh, the, uh, I don't know, there's just a lot of really good deep stuff in there. Let's stop right there. We'll pick up the last few verses of this next week. It's uh, 8 o'clock and uh, that's good. Any comments, questions? Good stuff there. Nikki? Who is it that you guys remember um, Mike Warnke? Remember that guy? He turned out to not be a genuine article, but he was pretty funny. I used to have all of his tapes and listen to him. And he tells a story about that, Nikki, about that very thing about Jonah walking up, the acid having dyed him white, his hair is all gone. He's got a piece of seaweed stuck in his mouth right there. His clothes are probably all gone. He walks up to some Ninevite fisherman and he says, repent. And, you, know, and, uh, you know, I'm like, agreed, I'm saved, I'm in, all right? Okay, but, but we, we laugh about that. Think about that, though. How the Lord uses that. No, no, but I mean, think about the, all right. Okay, now, I have a, you guys know I have a vivid imagination. All right, so, <laughs> not trying to be too graphic, but, but these are the things. All right, what does he smell like? I mean, I, I can't help but to think it's, there's something fishy about this guy, you know what I mean? I, all right, and what, what is his appearance? We don't, we don't know. Now, we, we imagine that he walks up on the beach and starts preaching right then. I mean, he may have had to have a couple of days to recover. Um, but how do you ever, I mean, how do you ever, not tell that story. I mean, I remember several years ago, Brooke Landite come up to me, and you guys, some of you will laugh at this. Sue will laugh at it because she's heard this a bunch of times. And Brooke said, "Okay, I really like the Mongolian story, but I don't need to hear it again." All right? <laughs> yeah, y'all know. <laughs> and so I've quit telling it. Now watch this, Teresa. You've never heard the Mongolia story, have you? There you go, Terry. You see, some of you folks. I'm going to start that story again. It's coming around again. Don't you get in that one and tell that story again. It's a great story. Uh, Terry was probably here back then. She was probably asleep that, that, that day or something. But Dan's never heard that story. There you go. Mary, you've heard it a couple of dozen times. Um, but here's the deal. All right. I, I, I tend to believe that, in, and with Peter and with Jonah, they ministered the rest of their life out of those moments. All right, when, what was Peter's? For me, Peter's seminal moment was this. He sees Jesus on the shore. He's out fishing with the other guys. This is after Jesus is resurrected. You, I don't know if you know this, but you, you know that the gospel accounts are, aren't always chronological. They, 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 they may not be, the story may not be told exactly in chronological order. So there's this moment where Jesus has risen, we believe, and it's in that period of time where the fishermen have 
where Peter and him have gone back to fishing and and then we, we try to line it up with when that happens. But at some point in time, Jesus appears on the shore. Remember, and he says, hey, let the nets down on the other side. Remember that? And, um, and they do. And the nets are breaking. And then the scripture says, and Peter strips his robe off and they say, it's the Lord. All right, now that's, that's the... That's a conglomeration of a couple of stories put together there, kind of the way that theologians think they all really happened. And he swims to shore. Remember that? And, and I, I've used this too. Some of you haven't heard this though, but do you remember what the scripture says about what, what Jesus has prepared? He, he's got a fire built and he's cooked breakfast. It's breakfast time. And it's interesting to me why Peter dives in the water. The rest of them row the boat ashore and get there, but Peter gets there first. It was Dr. Rutland that said this to me for the first time. The scripture says, and this is always just a moving thing to me, says, then Jesus had built a charcoal fire. It's just interesting that he uses that. There's only one other place in all of the Bible that a charcoal fire is mentioned other than right there on the beach. Remember? It's in the courtyard of Caiaphas. And it's the fire that Peter is warming his hands over when he denies Jesus. It's the only other time a charcoal fire is mentioned. I think Peter swims up and he looks down at the fire and he looks at, why did he jump out of the boat? I think, because if you're going to get dressed down for the, if you're going to get dressed down from the Messiah for having denied him, I'd just assume that'd just be me and him, not me and him and all my friends. I don't, I don't know that. Dr. Rutland was the first time I heard say that. And notice what Jesus says to him. He doesn't say, okay, you denied me. Maybe I'm going to, I'll let you back in sometime. No, he says, remember what he says? Peter, let's eat. Let's eat. It's such a pivotal moment in Peter's life that he, he never turns back again. Never. Jonah's life had to be the, the fish. He, he does preach, and rev, revival does break out in Nineveh over the top of him, over the top of the way he had felt. Now, here's what I don't get. What is it about being in the belly of a fish for three days that suddenly makes you able to stomach the Ninevites? But it does. And he preaches to the Ninevites and they're saved. I think everybody has a pivotal moment, or maybe many of them. And few of them (laughs) in the scriptures are pleasant. Um, In order to have faith, you got to be broken. So, good stuff. Amen? Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for this church and each one here. We ask you to bless them and use us all, Lord, to preach your word in a way that people can experience those times of refreshing. Um, It's not about judgment yet, Lord. And when it does become about judgment, it'll be yours, not mine, not ours. I'm not qualified. You are. So, Father, use us to be the purveyors of times of refreshing repentance and people coming to know you. Use us to do it. In Jesus' powerful name, and everyone said...